This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to the Chronicles of Nania. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And of course, we are here with the man who this show is named for. He is the best out there as far as digging up these nerdy numbers. A writer over at GangreenNation.com. And of course, a co-host of podcasts here over at TurnOnTheJets.com. Mr. Michael Nania. Michael, what's going on, man? Uh, not too much, just finally we're within a week of free agency, so soon we'll know which guys we gotta, you know, be out here spouting positivity about, and which guys we gotta say, oh, you know, it's okay, the Jets missed on them, the, the Ravens or the Bills, whoever, they made a mistake, the Jets were smart, so just a week, and we're gonna know which, which guys we gotta do that for. Yeah, indeed, and one of those guys we're going to be talking about is Le'Veon Bell, whether the Jets sign him and we're praising the heck out of it or whether he goes somewhere else and then we have to try and talk ourselves into the fact that we don't think he's actually that good, which is, if you remember what happened with Kirk Cousins last year, let's talk about Bell because this show I want to dedicate just to getting under the hood and getting all of the relevant statistical information about Le'Veon Bell out there. All the nannyest stuff that these other guys couldn't find. So, Mike, let's start with this. You dug up a really interesting statistic about Bell involving yards from scrimmage throughout his career. Share that with me, please. Yeah, so Bell currently owns, in the regular season, a career average of 129 scrimmage yards per game. And that's currently the highest number in the history of the league among guys to play at least 50 games. And even if, because obviously some guys are going to see their numbers tail off towards the end of their career. So even if you just narrowed it down to within players' first five seasons in the league, it's still the highest number of all time. So in terms of the total production he's put up, uh, combined rushing and receiving yards from scrimmage, no one's ever done it at a higher volume than Bell has to this point. That may be true, Michael, but the interesting part about it is most of it isn't coming on huge chunk plays of 40-plus yards because you would see that with Barry Sanders where he would have one huge run and it would kind of skew the numbers a little bit. With Bell, it's the opposite. He makes a lot of plays and a lot of meaningful plays, but they're not what you would call home run type plays, right? Yeah, his he's definitely not that big of a of, of a big play threat. His top-line speed isn't that great. He doesn't have the best burst. He's not going to break off many 80, 20-yard runs. I believe his longest run of the season in 2017 was only like 27 yards. So you look at his career as a whole, he's, he's not that great of a big play threat. Only 2.2% of his carries have gone for 20-plus yards, and that's against a league average of 2.6 or 2.5%, so slightly below the league average in terms of making big plays. Not awful, but definitely below average, and it's probably his biggest weakness, if you want to call it that. But what he does a great job of is just avoiding the negative plays, keeping the chains moving, keeping the ball moving forward, not letting the team get behind the sticks. He does not get stuffed that often. He owns a very strong 36.4% career stuff rate. Only 30, So only 36.4% of his carries have gone for two yards or less and no first down. And that's against a league average of 41.7%. So significantly below that number, that is the lowest number since he entered the league among qualified running backs, the guys at the top of the league in carries. So he does a tremendous job keeping the ball moving forward, not taking those losses, even if he doesn't do a great job of producing those huge plays. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. 
They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. What Bell seems to do exceptionally well, and he reminds me of Curtis Martin in this regard, is that even though he's not getting those huge running plays of 50, 60 yards or whatever, he's always keeping the chains moving, always making plays, and on top of that, he's very secure with the football, very rarely turns it over. Yeah, his ball security, if you look at his career as a whole, has been pretty good now over his past two seasons. He did have four fumbles in 2017, and three, or four fumbles in 20. 16 and three fumbles in 2017 so seven over his last two seasons so it became a little bit of an issue down the stretch there over his final two seasons but before that he only had one fumble in his first three seasons so you look at his career as a whole he's only fumbled on 0.5 percent of his career touches and that's the second lowest rate among the 18 running backs with at least a thousand touches since 2013 so like i said he definitely showed a few signs of worry over the past couple seasons with his fumble numbers going up over those past over those final two seasons that he played but still as a whole you look at his ability to secure the ball just to have one fumble over his first three seasons is incredible so even with his struggles over the past over his last two seasons with fumbles having three in 2017 and four in 2016, even with those struggles, his career numbers in terms of ball security are still really, really strong. And also, and like you said, he is a great chain mover. And we know about his receiving ability, which we're going to talk about more. But even on the ground, he keeps the chains moving. And it just plays into what I said earlier about he might not be a big play threat, but he does avoid the negative plays and keep your offense moving. His first down rate on the ground has been above average in each of his most recent four seasons. A couple of those times, he's significantly above average. Uh, close to 30% of his rushing first down rate was in, I believe, two of his past four seasons, which is really high. The league average is usually around 23%, and he's been above that every one of the past four seasons. So to carry the ball as often as he does and maintain these efficiency numbers is really, really rare to see. As far as his efficiency numbers go, they've been extraordinary throughout his career, but they did dip a little bit last year, right? Yards per carry? Yeah, 2017 was definitely, he did see a little bit of a noticeable dip in a few different areas. His yards per carry fell to a 4.0, which was lower than his past three seasons. Like I said, the fumbles started to become an issue from 2016 into 2017. And But still his yards per carry dip, I don't think it's significant enough to where it matters that much because you are going to be getting a fresh healthy bell who had the whole year off and you just look at his last four seasons even including that dip in 2017 from 2014 to 17 he still averaged 4.54 yards per carry which is second best among the 20 running backs 
with at least 600 carries over that span. So again, he's leading the league in volume year in, year out in terms of his total touches, and he's still maintaining really great efficiency numbers. It just goes to show how great this guy is, that he can carry the load and still be able to be productive and efficient on a per-touch basis. So his yards per carry definitely did see a dip in his recent season. I do think the big plays is a big part of that. We talked about that. Uh, His career big play rate, like I said earlier, 2.2% of his carries for 20-plus yards. And in 2017, he only had three carries all season for 20-plus yards. And that was while he led the league in carries. Uh, I believe he had 321 around there, total carries of 2017. And that's less than 1% of his total carries for 20-plus yards. So that killed his yards per carry. Uh, He definitely saw a huge, huge dip, even further below his already below average career numbers in terms of big plays, and that hurt his overall yards per carry, but his efficiency was still good. His DVOA was above average. His first down rate was above average, but the big plays definitely took a really, really big hit that season. I think that hurt. That's the biggest reason his yards per carry went down, but still you look at that, include that over his career, and he's still an efficient player, even when you include that down season. And he was efficient in the passing game, too. You've got some really interesting numbers here about that. Yeah, so, and again, we talked about with the run game, volume is high, but the efficiency is there, too, with the passing game. Since Bell entered the league in 2013, he leads running backs in targets with 397 of those, catches with 312 of those, and receiving yards with 2,660, and he's third in receiving yards per game among qualifiers. So, and again, the efficiency is still there despite all that volume. He's averaged 6.7 yards per target in his career. That's fifth best among the 26 running backs with over 200 targets since 2013. So the efficiency has still been there. Uh, He's still picking up first downs at a good rate, and his yards per target is still there. He he doesn't really produce, similar to the uh, running game, he doesn't produce that many huge plays as a receiver, but he catches, he's great hands, he catches a very high rate of his targets, and he turns them into first downs at a quality rate. So efficiency and volume, both in the ground game and the passing game, is there at a really rare combination for Bell, really across the board. Something that you discovered that I thought was interesting, and when you look under the hood like you do, sometimes you come up with stuff like this. Even though he's been incredibly efficient in terms of picking up first downs, like you said, touchdowns he hasn't had the greatest efficiency with. Yeah, so his touchdown totals throughout his career are kind of underwhelming relative you know, to the big yardage, number, big yardage numbers he puts up. He catches a ton of passes. He leads the league and carries and touches every season. So his touchdowns in relation to that have been pretty underwhelming. His career average of rushing touchdowns uh, on a per 16-game basis is nine. Uh, He's never had 10 rushing touchdowns in a season. And his career average for receiving touchdowns per 16 games is only 1.8. And his career high for that is only three. And he's had two seasons in which he didn't score a single receiving touchdown. So those numbers are, you know, they're solid numbers. You'd like to have a guy who scores you... 11 touchdowns per 16 games, but definitely for him, a guy who's leading the league in touches, it's a little bit underwhelming in terms when you relate it to the amount of times he's touching the ball. But when you look under the hood a little bit, like you said, part of the reason why his touchdowns might not be as high as you would like is that the Steelers didn't use him as much near the goal line as the league average does. Only 7.5% of his career carries have come inside the 10-yard line, and that's against a league average of 7.9%. And three-quarters of the league's rushing touchdowns are scored in that range within 10 yards of the goal line. So he's getting less carries than the average running back in that range. So that's going to hurt his touchdowns a little bit, his touchdown totals a little bit. And then it goes to the passing game too. Only 5.3% of his targets have come with, within the 10-yard line. That's against the league average of 5.8%. And 
about half of the league's passing touchdowns come within that 10-yard range. So he hasn't gotten the ball as often near the goal line as he has on the rest on the other parts of the field in, before the 10-yard line. So that definitely hurts his touchdown production a little bit. So it's not something I would look into too much, uh, the fact that his touchdown numbers aren't that impressive. If you pound the ball, if you give him the ball a ton near the goal line and make him a focal point of that red zone offense, he's going to get you the touchdowns. His efficiency in terms of scoring touchdowns in the red zone, it's pretty good. If you look at his per-play basis in terms of converting those touches into touchdowns near the goal line, he just hasn't gotten them as often as you would think a player of his caliber would, and that's a big reason his touchdown totals aren't that great. So it's it's definitely a concern that when you look at his career numbers, kind of pops out to you, the fact he hasn't had a double-digit either receiving or rushing touchdown season. Uh, he's had uh, over 10 total touchdowns in a season, but hasn't had that 10 touchdown on the ground season and like I said, only averages two receiving touchdowns on per 16 games. So those numbers are a little bit underwhelming. But when you look under the hood a little bit, like you said, you definitely see that he hasn't gotten the opportunity to score as many touchdowns as you would think he would. So that's really the story for him in the red zone is touchdown totals. But to bounce off the point that you mentioned earlier with his ability to produce first downs in the receiving game, he does that. As well, he leads the league in receiving first downs since he entered the league with 124 of those. And his first down efficiency in terms of in the passing game is good as well. He's got a 31.5% first down rate that ranks seventh among the 26 running backs with 200 plus targets since 2013. So I think that's what's really special about Bell. You know that the total production is there. He gets the, the, the Steelers fed him the ball a ton. He touched the ball on a per game basis more than anybody else in the league in both the ground game and the passing game. So he's going to put up big yardage totals and big fantasy point totals when you're doing that. But the fact that he's touching the ball as often as he does, and he still has an elite high level uh, rate of efficiency in both the passing game and the receiving game, whether it's yards or first downs, is really impressive to be able to have such a high volume and still maintain a really high level of efficiency. That's really impressive and special with what Bell can do. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Michael, I talked about this with Simon Chester last week, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, go ahead and go into our archives when we went through the Pittsburgh years bit by bit. But boy, Bell has been a bit of a playoff monster, hasn't he? Yeah, definitely. In the playoffs, his production has has been up to par with where he's been in the regular season. So you look at his numbers in the playoffs, he's averaged pretty much exactly the exact same number of scrimmage yards per game, 129 per game in the scrimmage department, and he hasn't fumbled the ball yet, 5.2 yards per carry in the playoffs, which is phenomenal, and he's averaged a touchdown per game, which beats his career average, so he's scoring those touchdowns in the playoffs, which we were just talking about, so uh, even though the Steelers haven't had the greatest of playoff success, it, at least a little bit disappointing by their standards, Bell definitely has not been the reason, uh, in that Jacksonville game, he's phenomenal. Uh, in 2017. So he's he's definitely carried his regular season production into the playoffs in the small sample size that he's had. He's played four playoff games for them. Uh, he did miss one playoff game, I believe, in 2015. Uh, actually, he might have missed multiple playoff games in the early part of his career, but he has played four playoff games, and in those games, he has done a really good job actually beating his regular season standards, averaging over 107 yards on the ground, actually, in the playoffs. So he's done a really good job in the postseason so far. So it's a good sign that he's been able to carry that 
into the latter part of the season. And between his playoff performances and his regular season performances, it just seems like the Steelers aren't the same team without him, right? Yeah, they're definitely, and you have a huge sample size at this point of games that the Steelers have played with Bell and games that they've played without him. And there is a pretty noticeable difference in the way they've performed with him versus without him. So with Bell, the Steelers are a 44-22 and team. That's two-thirds of their games that they've won, and that's a pace for 10.7 wins per 16 games. And without him, they've gone 21-15-1, and which is a 581 win percentage and a pace for 9.3 wins per 16 games. So that's about a one-and-a-half win difference. So that's a pretty big difference right there. You're talking about a 10.7 win, so about 11 wins. That's going to get you in the playoffs almost every single year and win you the division more often than not probably but if you're talking about being a nine-win team then that's more of a 50-50 probably less than 50-50 shot of making the playoffs and almost never going to win you a division so that's he's definitely pushed them above that border between good team to pretty great team uh, you're talking about if you can win 11 games a season over the course of a long period of time you're probably going to be one of the better teams in the league while nine wins is a little bit more on that border of pretty good but it's not always going to get you in the playoffs and you're probably not going to win many playoff games or championships so he's definitely made them significantly better in the games he played versus without it's not a huge difference you're not talking about the Steelers being you know awful without him and then dominant with him it's not that kind of difference but there definitely is a pretty noticeable difference in their ability to win games with him versus without him and a lot of it has to do with consistency right Michael because when you take a look at a back like Barry Sanders he was great he's one of the greatest of all time but every now and again his style will get him into trouble and there was that famous game in the playoffs where he basically was a non-factor with Bell he's been very good most of the time and stayed away from terrible games like that right yeah, and, and it's what we saw with the Jets this year a ton. This run game, you know, you had your great moments. You had the Denver game where the Jets broke their team rushing record. Isaiah Crowell broke the rushing record. Uh, he was phenomenal. You had the Detroit game where Crowell, uh, they had a bunch of big runs. So the Jets were a huge boom or bust team in the run game this year. It was mostly bust. You know, you had like your two games where there was some boom, but it was bust most of the time. So one of the things that Bell does really great, and I hit on it before, it kind of plays back to his big play rate and his stuff rate. He doesn't get stuffed off, and even though he doesn't make a lot of big plays, he's not going to negative plays, and he's also not going to have those negative games in which he's so unproductive that it kind of kills the entire run game. So over the past three seasons, Bell's played 37 games in the regular season and playoffs. He's only had one game in which he averaged under three yards per carry. Now, obviously, three yards per carry isn't a good number. Hopefully you want to be at four or five in a given game. That's a good, more average number. So three isn't a good number. But once you get below three, then you're talking about a run game that definitely had a very unproductive game and kind of killed the offense's chances of having success, made the team more one-dimensional. So over the past three seasons, Bell has only had one game where he averaged under three yards per carry. And in comparison, Jets running backs as a group in 2018 ran for under three yards per carry six times in this season alone in 2018 alone and that was one of the highest totals really you look back over the past couple decades it's one of the highest totals among any team in a single season over that time span so the Jets were terrible at having these really bad rushing games last season obviously the O-line was a big part of that and it's a factor with Bell too the Steelers had a pretty good O-line while he was there but he definitely carried this consistency throughout his entire career uh, no matter who's rotating on that line. So Bell's proven he can do a really good job of being consistent, keeping the team ahead of the chains, making sure the run game is at least a factor, at least a threat, without having these terrible games where he's getting stuffed after stuff, uh, leading to really long second and third downs. He hasn't done that. 
He's done a really good job making sure he's at least ha- at least has to be respected by the defense and at least has a competent job, which is really valuable because, like we said, the Jets had, like I said, six games under three yards per carry this season from the running backs, which is going to kill your offense and make you really one-dimensional, especially when you have a rookie quarterback like Darnold was last season, and he's going to be a 22-year-old sophomore this next season. So it definitely helps to have your running game be able to rely on your run game to be a threat every single week, even if they're not making these huge splash plays, at least make the defense respect them and help open up the passing game. So Bell's done a phenomenal job with that. He's not going to have those terrible games as often as he's going to have them way less common than any other bell cow running back in the league would. So that's a huge asset that he brings to the table. These are the kind of numbers that you get when you follow Michael on Twitter, when you read him at Gangry Nation, and of course when you listen to him here on the Chronicles of Nania. Thanks again for coming on, Michael. For anybody that doesn't know where to find you, why don't you go ahead and let him know, because as I said the other day on Twitter, if you are a Jets fan or you produce any Jets-related content and you are not following this guy on Twitter and reading his work and or following Joe Blewett on Twitter and checking out his work, you are really making a big mistake. Yeah, definitely. Thanks a lot for having me on. Again, it's going to be a wild week. I'm really excited for it. You know, the Jets, we're used to being disappointed by them. I'm ready to sign Dante Fowler, Dante Moncrief, Adrian Peterson. Uh, We might even sign Sean Green. I don't even know. So I'm ready for all that, but it's still going to be pretty exciting. And anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. So it's going to be a wild week. I'm really excited for it. I'm ready to be disappointed, but I'm also ready to be surprised. So it should be pretty, pretty fun to follow on Twitter. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You really can't beat the Nannia numbers, but I thought it might be fun to try and add to them. So, I am privileged to be joined right now by somebody who knows a thing or two about Le'Veon Bell because he studies this stuff over at PFF, specializing in the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mr. Benjamin Lindsay. Benjamin, what's going on, man? It's going it's doing pretty good. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, no, pleasure, man. Well, I want to give Jets fans a complete look at Le'Veon Bell, every single aspect of his game. And so we're going through these shows, talking to people on the ground in Pittsburgh, talking to people that have crunched the numbers, talking to people that have looked at the film. And you've done a little bit of all of that, a lot of research on players involving the Pittsburgh Steelers. And perhaps if this whole thing with Mr. Big Chest goes a certain way and he ends up on the Jets, we may need to talk again. But for now, let's talk about Le'Veon Bell. Let's start with the passing game. What do you have on that for me? Yeah, so um, the passing game is where where Bell brings a lot of value. So we've got grades on every player, and if you look at running backs from his career, basically the time he's playing, 2013 to 2017, um, he ranks 10th in receiving grade um, out of 64 qualifiers at running back at 81.8. And he's also a good pass blocker. Um, he ranks 10th out of 64 in pass blocking grade. Um, so he can kind of do both. He runs, he's had a lot of passing game volume, um, 1,850 snaps in route, which that's the most by 236. Um, he's got 374 targets, which is the most by 35. Uh, Matt Forte is actually second over that span. 
but yeah, he adds he adds value. It's not just volume; he adds value as well with efficiency. He's got uh, 1.43 yards per route run, which is 20th. He, he can just he can run routes to the receiver with 432. Um, only two players have over 300 over that span lined up at wide receiver, so he can kind of do everything in the passing game. Can you tell me a little bit about how you arrive at these grades? Yeah, so the grading, um, it's done on a, for each play, each player can get a grade from negative two to two on, in 0.5 intervals. Um, so if they take, if they take a pass, they catch a pass at the line of scrimmage, go about five yards, um, don't really do anything, that's a zero. It's what's expected. But if they make a guy miss, get extra yards, or create separation downfield, um, that's where you start seeing positive grades. And then all those get taken and get normalized into the 0 to 100 skills that uh, you see on Twitter and stuff. As far as Bell as a weapon in the passing game, is it a situation where he's catching a lot of screens? Is he actually getting a lot of receiving opportunities as a wide receiver, going out and running routes kind of the way Marshall Falk did? Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, he does catch a lot of his passes right around the line of scrimmage. I think his average depth of target was like 0.6 yards. But he also he also does line up as a wide receiver. Like I said, he has four... Since over his career in the regular season, he's got 432 routes as a receiver. The only other player with above 300 is Sandre Ellington, which they kind of used him as a wide receiver as his main position there for a little bit. So he, he does line up a wide receiver. He can run routes down fields. You saw that some in the Jaguars playoff game a couple years ago. He had a couple of nice contested catches downfield. But he also he does get a lot of his yards after the catch. So he's got 2,640 receiving yards total, and 2,732 of those are after the catch. So he's actually got more yards after the catch than he does total receiving yards. So he's a yak guy, which you would say is a pretty good fit for an Adam Gase offense where he likes to get these running backs out in space and get them opportunities to do what you just said Bell does, right? Yeah, yeah, I think he's a good fit there. In space, he's good at making people miss. Um even in, um, in tight confines, he's good at making people miss. He's got rushing. He's got 203 missed tackles for us in his career, which that's third. And he's, it's not just, that's not just all volume either. So he forces a missed tackle about every five rushes, which is ninth out of 52 qualifying running backs. And then he's in the receiving game, the same thing. The only theoretic has more missed tackles for us than Bell from 2013 to 2017. So yeah, when he, he's dangerous in space. I want to get back to his rushing in a little bit, but I want to stick with the passing right now because I really want to illustrate the pros and cons of him as a receiver and what he does well and what he doesn't do as well. In your research, did you uncover any routes that he specifically excels at as opposed to certain routes that maybe he's not as good at? He's good at just taking passes around the line of scrimmage and sort of making stuff out of those, picking up yards, getting first down. So the kind of flares out of the backfield, hitches, out wide, those sort of things. Um, that's where he, where he adds value. What about as far as pass blocking? Because we know that the Jets' offensive line is not the best offensive line in the world. They're, I guess, passable at pass blocking, or at least a couple of those guys are, particularly Beecham and Brandon Shell. But they're not exactly a strong unit. 
Sounds like Le'Veon Bell would probably add a fair amount to that on passing downs when he's not the intended target, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that kind of gets overlooked with Bell. Obviously, people look at his rushing and his receiving, but he's also he's a really good pass blocker. Like I said in the open, his pass blocking grade for his career is 84.4, which is says 10th out of 64 qualifying running backs. And what goes into that is, Basically, if you hold your block as long as you're expected to, you're not going to get any grades knocked off. But if you allow the guy right in or get beat pretty easily, you will. So it's basically, that's just a measure of how well you hold up to blitzers and your blocking assignments. Can you tell me a little bit about how Bell compares receiving-wise and blocking-wise to other tailbacks? In other words, how far up on the rankings is he in those categories as far as a pass blocker for a running back and a receiver for a running back? Yeah, so, well, his grades is 81.8 as a receiver over the course of his career. And that's, by individual seasons, that's fluctuated a little bit. So actually our best season for him was the season where he got shortened by his injury back in 2015. Um, But he was having a great year. He had a 83.3 receiving grade. 89.7 89.7 overall. Um, but overall, over the course of his career, it's 81.8, which is 10th out of 64 qualifiers. And that's also about where his pass blocking grade is because he also ranks 10th. So he's upper tier in both regards. Do we have any type of historical comparison as far as not just the guys that are in the league now, but past players where he fits in? Any type of context that we could look at? when you compare him to other running backs from the past, other great running backs as far as receiving and blocking? Oh, well, yeah, so we only have grades from 2006 to the present. Obviously, someone like Adrian Peterson, he's not going to have the same kind of receiving career numbers. If you look at his grades, he's never graded above 65 as a receiver, and Bell has done that every season. Similar story with Marshawn Lynch, too, right? So, yeah, he's he's kind of the same thing. He's, he was a dominant rusher, especially during that stretch with Seattle. At 84.4 in 2012, and then he got up above 90 in 2013, 2014. In 2015, he was 83.2. Um, but he doesn't offer much as a receiver at all, really. His top receiving grade since 2007, since his career started, was 64.8 in 2014. So... Bell adds, definitely adds more as a receiver in that regard than guys like Peterson and Lynch. What about somebody a little more recent like Todd Gurley? So Gurley, in 2017, uh, which is his best year two years ago, he had an 82.6 overall grade and 87.8 receiving, 76.4 rushing. So he, he added a lot as a receiver that year. Now this year it dropped down to 62.2 receiving, so kind of remains to be seen there. But Bell's receiving grade has fluctuated, too. It was 83.3 in 2015, 66.5 in 2016, and then 77 the last year he played. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. What about rushing? Tell me a little bit about Le'Veon Bell, the running back. What do you have there? Yeah, so um, just he's been, he's been good, both volume, obviously. There's hardly anyone who's got more volume than him. He's got 1,200, over 1,200 attempts. He's fourth there. He's first in yards after contact, so he can he can get hit and 
he's able to keep his balance and keep moving forward. So he's got 5,336 rushing yards in the regular season, and 3,229 of those have come after contact, um, which is first in the league. Uh, like I said, he can make guys miss, and he's good at he's good at making his runs count. So 24% of his rushes have gone for first downs or touchdowns, which obviously that's what you're looking for. And that's sixth in the league out of 52 qualifying running backs. It's not just that volume either. He's he's pretty efficient because obviously it's pretty easy to rack up a lot of missed tackles forced to yards after contact if you're just getting the ball more than everyone else. Um, but if you look at missed tackles forced per attempt, yards after contact per attempt, he's in the top 10 in both of those. And he also holds onto the ball. He goes every 205 rushing attempts for per fumble, which is that's also in the top 10. So what you're saying is not only is he elusive and somebody that's able to break tackles, but he also is terrific with ball security. So you're looking at somebody who not only has the potential to give you big plays, but also is a low risk of turning the ball over. Yeah. I mean, fumbles, they kill the offense. It's that, those get factored pretty heavily into grading. So that's part of the reason he's graded well. But yeah, he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't cough up the ball. What do you find about where he likes to run typically? Does he have a side he likes to run to more than others? Is there a certain type of run he likes to break off? Yeah, actually, the last two years, he hasn't been breaking off long runs. He's more been grinding out those medium-length runs and doing it well. But he's finished 2016 only. We have a metric called breakaway percentage, which is the percentage of your rushing yards that come from runs of 15 or more yards. In 2016, that was 15.2%. In 2017, it was 18.9%. And both of those ranked in the bottom half of the league. So as far as overall rushing, how does he compare grade-wise to the other guys that are the top running backs in the league or to some of the ones that have been the top running backs in the league over the last couple of years? Yeah, so, um, so Todd Gurley, the seasons where... They both played just looking at rushing grades. Obviously, 2016 was a pretty rough year for Curley. With, so he had a 55.4 rushing grade, and Bell was at 80.1. So Bell was fourth out of 62 that year in rushing grade. So obviously better there. And then 2017, Curley was at 76.4 rushing. Bell was at 67 or 67.5. He was actually better as a receiver that year. 2017 was our lowest, our lowest grade for Bell since his rookie year at 72.2. So he, he picked up a lot of numbers just through volume, but based on a per-play sort of level, we had him at 20th out of 58 qualifiers. What are your thoughts on the idea of the value of the running back in this case? Because we hear all the time that you should never pay a running back and that the running back has very little value in today's NFL. But it seems like Le'Veon Bell is a different kind of cat because he can do so many different things and be a weapon in the passing game. Would you say that he has a lot more value than most running backs and maybe kind of breaks the mold of that particular thought process? Yeah, so pretty much by far the, the most valuable aspect of a running back scheme is their ability to make plays as a receiver. Even then, just from a number standpoint, it's not as valuable as what an actual receiver can do just because their targets are coming farther downfield. Usually sort of one of our analysts, Eric Eager, just released an article And what he found was that a lot of what determines success in the running game is game situation, sort of the defensive approach. So 
how many people they have in the box, and then also the run concept. So as far as running back talent, that is lower on the totem pole in the run game than to what determines success than those other sort of things, which is part of the reason that you've seen guys like D'Angelo Williams, James Conner, Jalen Samuels. When they've came in, they've performed well because the Steelers have a good situation for rushing with the offensive line. So, but as a receiver, Bell does add some value. He can make people miss. He can get yards after the catch. He can run receiver routes. He's ran more than, than any other running back over the last five years or so. So, um, he does add value in that regard. The other two big free agent running backs this year are Tevin Coleman and Mark Ingram. How does Bell compare to those guys grade-wise in the various areas? Yeah, so... Bell's obviously better than both of those guys. If you look at Coleman's grades uh, the last three years, 2016, just overall, um, 2016 he was at 74.6, 2017 he was at 70.1, and then last year he was at 66.0. So he's kind of kind of going in reverse there. And also his receiving grades. So 2016 he was a very good receiver, 85.9, and that's dropped to 71.6 and 60.6 the last two years. So Bell, Bell's better. He's been better overall as a runner and a receiver than Coleman. And then Ingram, it's the same thing. He's a competent receiver. He's not going to do much more than sort of run backfield routes, catch the ball near the line of scrimmage, and then get some yardage. If you look at his grades, just say for the last three seasons as a receiver, 2016, 79.6, 2017, 69.8, and then last year, 55.4. So kind of like Coleman. That's been on a little bit of a decline. Ingram is a good rusher, though. Last year, his rushing grade was 81.4. So that's sort of how he compares to this, too. How big of a gap is there between those guys? In other words, how much better was Bell than Coleman and Ingram? So for Ingram, so 2015, 89.7 compared to Coleman, 64.7. But then 2016, Bell is 78.6 and Coleman 71.2. And then 2017 Bell, is, 2017 Bell is at 72.2, and Coleman Ingram's at 70.7. So there's there's a gap. Um, Bell has shown that he's able to perform better than Ingram at a higher workload, obviously because Ingram's been splitting snaps pretty much his whole career. Same thing with Coleman. But the gap isn't. It's not as big as maybe their upcoming contracts would suggest. So overall, let's draw a conclusion here. Do you think that it would make sense for the Jets to pay Le'Veon Bell top dollar? Do you think he would be worth it? And if not, do you think that there is enough of a drop-off between him and, say, Coleman and Ingram to justify getting one of those guys for less money and then saying that that was the smarter move? I think it basically comes down to the idea of running back value. So, like I said, the in the run game, a lot of what determines success is the situation that you put the running back in and sort of your scheme as opposed to how good that running back actually is. Now, there is a difference in receiving. If you're a good receiver as a running back, that does add some value, but it still doesn't add as much value as a wide receiver who's winning those routes downfield for bigger gains. So if you look around the league to guys like the situations last year, so C.J. Anderson stepped into the Rams, and played pretty much at the same level as Gurley. And Philip Lindsay came in undrafted, performed well for the Broncos. The ideal strategy, 
not pay someone like Bell. Sure, he's a good player, but it all comes down to relative value. Yeah, that's certainly a case a lot of people have made. Is it worth paying a running back no matter how good he is? We're going to see what the Jets and other teams think about that in less than a week when free agency kicks off. But I'm really glad that we were able to get a look at these numbers to get a clearer picture of whether or not Le'Veon Bell is worth the money from a value standpoint and what he brings to the table, especially compared to other running backs that are currently in the league and running backs that have been in the league in the past, how he kind of shakes out that way. He is the researcher for PFF Steelers and does a great job over there. Really glad that he was able to take some time and talk to me today about Le'Veon Bell, explain the PFF scores, and run through all the data with me. Benjamin Lindsay. Benjamin, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate you coming on. For anybody that doesn't know where to find you, why don't you go ahead and let them know? Yeah, well, uh, if you're interested in, in seeing some, anything about Le'Veon Bell, that's at PFF Steelers. And personally, it's at BenLindsay25. But I appreciate you having me on there. My pleasure, Benjamin. Thanks again for coming on, and thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow Benjamin and PFF Steelers. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets content, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.